Hi, I'm Charles Gauthier, President and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. The DVBA is so proud to support this daily podcast series that is helping our community navigate through these trying times. As we all settle into what we hope is a temporary new normal, please consider helping support our local businesses. Whether it's by getting takeout from your favorite restaurant or giving a local shop a great review, it all adds up. Thanks everyone and stay safe. I'm Tyler Orton. Before we get to today's interview, here are some of the top stories we're following today at Business in Vancouver. BC is extending its own state of emergency for another two weeks. The current measures against the COVID-19 pandemic are set to stay in place until April 28th. And the BC unemployment rate is set to hit 14% sometime this quarter. That's according to a new forecast from the Conference Board of Canada. But the think tank expects the economy to bounce back in the second half of 2020, with unemployment averaging 8% throughout the year. That's it for now. Now time for our interview. Thanks for joining us today on Coping with COVID-19, our podcast from Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Our systems are changing, of course, as a result of the pandemic. We're undergoing an acceleration of the involvement of digital technology in our lives, and much of it's for the better. Uh, Certainly one field in which we can expect such change, we're even already experiencing it, is the health sector. And how might this sector evolve over the next number of years. I've asked Michael Bidu, who runs Interface Health, the digital health technology accelerator, to join me today to look at the implications for Canada. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much, Kirk. Let's let's talk, first of all, Michael, about how we actually compare as a country uh, with other countries and how we we share and how we implement uh, digital technology in our health system. Well, um, let's add a little bit of a context here, um, because what we're talking about here is really the implications of COVID-19 or coronavirus, uh, uh, not only in our own healthcare system in Canada, but worldwide, since this is a pandemic. I would say that, you know, for the last 150 years or so, we have looked at this uh, massive centralization of healthcare. That's when we started building uh, general hospitals and we started bringing people uh, to the solutions, uh, patients to hospitals, general hospitals in general. So that's what happened for the last 150 years. And the public health uh, overall uh, in um, a lot of developing countries have uh, created uh, tremendous opportunities uh, to, you know, uh, keep us healthy uh, extend the the life expectancy. Uh, We went from something like 42 years to about 82, 84, 86 years, so almost doubled in 150 years. So all that together and with the fact that uh, about 100 years ago was the last time when we had the Spanish uh, uh, flu uh, that affected, you know, a massive amount of people at the time, about a third of the population on the planet, 500 million. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, died about 40 to 50 million. So that's kind of the context of what happened in, in all these years. Now, 
The difference uh, that we see today is that uh, although uh, nobody seemed prepared to deal with this pandemic, I think we uh, are in a much, much better shape overall um, to deal with this pandemic, um, despite the fact that we run, uh, you know, short out of uh, uh, ventilators or uh, protection uh, equipment and so on and so forth. I think one of the things that uh, I see worldwide is uh, a new age, if you like, of experimentation and innovation. Uh, the healthcare system uh, overall in, in, in the world and in Canada as well, I have seen changes happening in the last two, three months uh, all over the world, uh, as well as in Canada, that have never seen in 10 or 20 years, uh, which is very good news, I think, for uh, all of us. And I hope that uh, uh, this whole pandemic will set the stage for some massive changes in the status quo so that we can actually see uh, uh, better outcomes uh, down the road. Well, okay, we can talk about the future, I guess, in, in a moment, but I, 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 let's capture a bit of the present here and uh, tell me a little bit about what we have seen in this pandemic in the way of, um, of implementation of some of the newer technologies. How have they uh, shaped our understanding of COVID-19 um, and, and our treatment of it? We, what, what sorts of new things are out there? Thank you. Uh, okay, so um, uh, the the number one thing that we have learned uh, is that prevention uh, would have helped us tremendously to deal with this crisis. Um, also, we have learned that if we had better technologies to uh, uh, look at data and understand what's happening in real time, uh, we would have had uh, probably a better response. What I see out there uh, is uh, companies who uh, suddenly started uh, building uh, very sophisticated uh, ventilators. Uh, companies like Medtronic, for example, uh, who opened up their designs for a lighter version of a ventilator uh, so that others can actually step in, the industry can step in almost like an open source uh, type of uh, uh, project. And uh, suddenly uh, what you see uh, uh, in that regard, you see uh, the production of those ventilators quadrupled in, in a very short amount of time. Uh, and uh, I think there's this misunderstanding of what ventilators are. Uh, they go anywhere from, you know, $5,000 ventilators up to $150,000 uh, ventilators, very expensive, very sophisticated machines, uh, which are in, very hard to duplicate very fast. Mm -hmm. So I'd say ventilators is one thing. We've seen tremendous uh, applications in uh, 3D printing, for example, uh, where uh, a lot of companies, uh, in Canada included, uh, we have uh, seen uh, um, stepping up in, in creating those uh, uh, protective uh, uh, equipment um, very fast uh, using 3D, te 3D technologies. We have seen a company in Ottawa, uh, uh, Spartan, uh, who have just uh, signed up a deal with the uh, federal government for about a million you know, testing at home uh, kits, which is impressive. Uh, that's all how you know how fast uh, we can deliver those kind of things uh, in digital health so those are just some of the examples that uh, we see there here locally in, in bc in victoria uh, a company like starfish medical has signed up a deal as well to uh, create vent ventilators very fast so um, other types of uh, solutions uh, that have to do with uh, you know not only uh, diagnosis but treatment at home uh, what we see today is uh, uh, a lot of the folks uh, who uh, suffer uh, through this uh, crisis uh, uh, are people who had previously chronic diseases 
uh, whether it's diabetes, COPD, uh, or uh, cardiac, other types of cardiac uh, diseases, uh, or even mental health for that matter. And so how do we actually treat people at home? And uh, we have seen uh, technologies like telemedicine, telepsychiatry, uh, uh, virtual visits uh, exploding in, 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 uh, yeah. in terms of uh, usage. Yeah. So I think all this, Kirk, uh, it just tells me and tells all of us, I suppose, uh, that uh, uh, the, the age of uh, sending solutions to the people at home, uh, it's something that uh, uh, the time has come. Uh, it's unfortunate that it had to come through this uh, pandemic. But the good news, I would say, is that the whole industry, the public healthcare system, even private healthcare systems will change uh, forever because of COVID-19. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, I mean, it, much as there is great tragedy and hardship involving COVID-19, um, has it actually, you think, created a turning point in the acceptance of things like telemedicine, of things like wider sharing of, uh, of health information uh, among the public. And in, in a way, it has allayed the apprehensions that might have been there in the absence of a, of a crisis like this. Well, I think the, the, uh, the answer goes to both sides of this uh, uh, relationship between patients and, and physicians. Uh, you know, I have seen uh, quite a few uh, frustrated uh, uh, family doctors out there uh, in British Columbia, in Alberta and Ontario and Quebec, who are very frustrated uh, because they they couldn't get in touch with their own patients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody had set up uh, those kind of, uh, uh, you know, telehealth uh, uh, platforms that are safe and secure uh, to be able to uh, kind of restart their companies uh, working from home. So uh, there's a lot of frustration in the medical world, and I hope that that frustration uh, uh, comes across uh, in the right way uh, to the ministries and healthcare authorities uh, so that they can actually change that forever. Uh, on the other hand, of course, patients at home, uh, let's say you have a, a parent who, who suffers of a chronic disease uh, of some kind and, and they need, uh, uh, you know, uh, care every day, uh, remote care, uh, and that's not set up properly. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's no question that, that the need was there even before the pandemic. I hope that uh, because of uh, everything that's going on right now, the ministries of health and healthcare authorities uh, will pay attention and transform healthcare uh, kind of forever. Now, uh, what we see so far, uh, Kirk, is that Measures like public health, like social distancing, right? The the way you know the prime minister, the you know Dr. Bonnie Henry here in, in the province uh, are suggesting, those are you know measures that you and I can take without any implication from the healthcare system whatsoever. Yeah. The question becomes, okay, uh, once we pass this stage, what else are we going to be dealing with? When are we going to see some spikes? How do we? How fast do we react to those? Are we prepared for kind of for the next wave, like wave two, wave three, wave four, even uh, you know? And uh, what I have seen uh, again in the industry happening is a lot of uh, um, companies are looking at innovation in, uh, in uh, real time data, like how do we actually understand what's going on in real time? And also, I see uh, quite a few companies in what's called the digital therapeutics area 
where is, uh, we're talking about software as a medical device or software as a therapy. So how do we help people at home dealing with their anxiety, their depression, their uh, um, other types of uh, uh, mental health uh, uh, problems? Yeah, one of the areas, obviously, Michael, that, uh, that concerns people uh, as we approach perhaps a, a slight reopening of the economy, so to speak, is that we still don't really have a, a clear pile of data about who is infected, uh, who and, and even who has carried, uh, you know, COVID-19. We don't have a, a, you know, widespread testing. Is there anything that that is, is going to arrive imminently around uh, digital health technology that might enable us to have a greater, deeper picture of, of you know, of, of the testing that's necessary here? Uh, good question, Kirk. I, I have seen, uh, you know, uh, the Israelis, for example, have created an application uh, that it works very much like Waze. It's uh, like an Uber where you actually see what's going on in real time uh, using, you know, COVID virus as an example. Uh, we have seen just in the last, uh, I believe, three days, Google and Apple uh, uh, trying to uh, close a partnership like never before uh, so that they can actually look at uh, the, the data around COVID, uh, around who's infected and who's not. Uh, now, those are uh, technologies uh, and apps that can be developed uh, relatively fast. Uh, you need to obviously have the scale that Google and Apple can bring to the table to actually understand what's going on. It's very hard for a startup to actually create that kind of scale. But those technologies, Kirk, do exist. The question becomes, uh, if you as, as a private citizen, how willing are you to participate in that? And, uh, you know, what is the, the question uh, or, or the promise of Google and, and Apple uh, not to share that uh, kind of information uh, with the wrong hands? Because hasn't that always been the central tension, Michael, around around uh, some of the digital health technology, which is that we we trade a, a degree of our privacy, a degree of our personal information uh, in exchange for uh, really probably some better, more sophisticated treatment. Uh, and and in a lot of ways, you know, it's it's become, I think, the the central question about the future of some of this technology. No question, no question that privacy uh, is one of the, the, you know, massive questions on a global scale uh, around uh, this. Uh, digital health has faced that uh, uh, for the last, you know, seven, ten years that uh, we've been in business, so to say, as an industry. And so I think we will see a new standard. Uh, and, and in the end, I think if you as a private citizen, if you are informed about the value of you sharing that kind of information, and if you have the right, uh, uh, you know, uh, framework in place, uh, I think privacy can be handled uh, very well. We have done that in, in other industries like financial services, uh, for example. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think it's a little bit of a myth. And we see, like, what would have been, you know, the uh, the um, uh, the value of us knowing all this information uh, three or six months ago when it started in one uh, China? Uh, yeah. You see, right now, the 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 damage to the global economy is going to be probably in the two to three trillion dollars. Uh, so uh, there's no question that sharing that information the right way 
has tremendous value to uh, you as an individual, to the governments, to employers, to everybody. And so uh, how do we actually handle that uh, properly? Well, that's a question that we should have. A, uh, we should do something about it right away as opposed to waiting another five years of debates. Yeah, I, I would imagine, too, that what must be emerging in the sector that you are, are part of is, uh, is, is a kind of a new uh, momentum and impetus uh, in order to encourage uh, investment by government and by the private sector out the other side of the worst of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, so that uh, to avert, I guess, the possibility of, of yet you know, a, another setback uh, of the scale that we've had now, do you, do you have a, a sense yet, Michael, about what kind of investment we're talking about here, even as a, a, as a province or a country, in, um, in, in what it might take? Very good question, uh, Kirk. And I think uh, we have seen the digital health uh, sector, we have seen the largest investment in the United States. I'll start there and then I'll go to Canada and BC. Uh, the largest investment uh, in the last 10 years uh, happened in the United States in digital health, uh, you know, uh, something in excess of uh, uh, $14 billion. Uh, and so that was the kind of investment we've seen last year there. In Canada, uh, as you know, it's a, uh, it's a different story because our public healthcare system doesn't quite allow uh, for investments like that to happen. However, uh, you know, the National Research Council uh, through IRAP, the uh, super clusters, um, you know, uh, the other types of programs like NSERC programs, they're all investing, uh, you know, in, in kind of an indirect or direct way uh, um, in digital health uh, in Canada. Uh, when we're looking at an industry, you know, the public healthcare industry in, uh, in Canada, it's a $260 billion budget uh, nationally. Uh, we're looking at about uh, $21 billion uh, budget here in, in BC. Uh, Quebec has already spent more than half of their budget uh, in healthcare. We're very close in BC to spending about 50 cents on a dollar uh, on, on, uh, on healthcare. The question then becomes is, well, well in the past, uh, we have spent about 85 to 90% of that budget in uh, acute care. Yeah, in yeah. chronic diseases. Yeah, and so I hope that uh, in the future we will be smart enough to say, well, we can do better than that. We should start thinking very seriously about public health and also about prevention. Yeah, and so why do all these uh, uh, chronic diseases happen? Uh, how is our environment? Uh, how is our education? How how does housing uh, play a role in all this? And so uh, I, I hope that uh, the budgets uh, will start looking at uh, this digital transformation. It's called the digitization of medicine. Yeah, uh, I hope to see you know two percent, three percent, seven percent of the budget allocated directly to digital health technologies that can help us deal with the next uh, uh, epidemic. There's no question that uh, after this uh, pandemic, we will probably see. Uh, more crises, uh, uh, public health crises uh, through viruses coming up in the next, who knows, five years, 10 years. It's almost like what's happening in the climate change. Initially, 10 years ago, we've seen, you know, a few storms and then we've seen more storms and then wildfires. And, uh, so we have seen that happening. 
I think in health, uh, we will probably see something very similar. Well, last last point then, um, as you know, and you, you would probably feel this uh, directly yourself, uh, when times are normal, we, we don't tend to have a very serious debate about things like our investment in a sector like healthcare. We, we're kind of in a maintenance mode about it. And, you know, with nominal increases in funds that perhaps reflect demography and those kinds of things. But, but what was clear with all of this is that, uh, you know, we didn't really adequately prepare uh, for, uh, for a pandemic. I mean, who, who sets aside those kinds of resources uh, for some kind of bizarre catastrophe that is off the scale? But I wonder whether you, you see uh, emerging out of this uh, a different kind of public resolve that might worry a little less about the money that needs to be applied to the task and more about the task itself. Well, um, I think, uh, I mean, what we have seen in Canada and in BC as well, as you know, we have these healthcare systems and usually the, the decisions in, in terms of investment in healthcare are pretty much top down. It's the government who decides where the money needs to go. What I like to see in the future, and I hope that COVID uh, uh, will help facilitate that, is to actually have that uh, very vigorous, honest conversation about public health that affects us all and invite the right people at the table, uh, as in the innovators who actually understand what needs to happen uh, in the future. Invite, for example, uh, organizations like credit unions who uh, care very much about healthy communities. Uh, invite uh, industries of the future uh, to the table. Uh, because as we have seen, uh, COVID has affected uh, our lives. Uh, it has affected education, it had, has affected the way we work, it has affected uh, uh, the environment. Like everything uh, that was affected by, by this COVID, I hope that in the future we'll see a better conversation uh, around uh, how much money we need to invest and, and, and uh, also look at, I don't know, the social impact of what we're actually doing here. Uh, that is, uh, I think, critical uh, for us to have a, a society that is uh, that cares about the people and that also uh, helps us uh, uh, create, uh, you know, the right economic environment, the right economy to start rebuilding uh, the, the the significant. I mean, I'm an optimist uh, here. Uh, I think uh, we will see tremendous uh, things happening after uh, this crisis, uh, but also uh, there's a lot of people who need to rethink their lives, uh, you know, going forward. Well, we could carry on our conversation for a very long time today, and but uh, we're going to stop it off there. But I, I hope that you'll come back and uh, you know keep track of uh, of this crisis with us uh, and uh, share some insights as you have today. Michael Badu, thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much, Kirk. Michael Badu runs Interface Health. It's a digital health technology accelerator. You've been watching Coping with COVID-19. I'm Kirk Point. Thanks a lot for watching. We'll see you next time.